We continue our study of wisdom, putting wisdom under the microscope, as it were. We've been talking about all year uh, the search for wisdom and the attitudes that come together as we seek it, uh, and we uh, we've talked about seeking it like treasure, and uh, and the the maps, the guides that we can follow, and how to travel and journey toward it. Now we're asking very simply, what is it? What is this treasure? What is wisdom? And so we're putting it under a microscope to watch its behavior, watch how it acts what it is made of, and to look closely at how we can work uh, with the wisdom of God by His grace. And so we have seen that wisdom is a living whole. You can't just chop off part of it and take that part that appeals to you or that you like without destroying the life of the whole Uh, of God's wisdom. We either accept it as it is, as it lives, as it moves, or we reject it as we've compared it to a lion. If you put a lion in this room, we adapt to the lion. The lion does not adapt to us. And the lion is here. The Lord Jesus Christ is that lion of Judah who is alive and in our midst right now. And so what we are seeking to do is to understand how he works and how he lives. We've seen that wisdom has, has certain habits of behavior that we're calling virtues. And the reason wisdom is wise is because we are building up these habits that over time yield better and better decisions. And so as we look at the behavior of wisdom under this microscope, we see patterns of virtue and habits of good decision-making, and we saw that last time. This morning, we are going to look at the fact that wisdom has specializations. It has roles for us. Wisdom comes to us especially through the roles that we have in life, in business, in family, in all of these areas. If we go back to our microscope analogy, you put uh, a slide under a microscope and you're going to see a, a whole bunch of cells on that slide. And one of the interesting things about cells, one of the few things I know about cells, is that they all have specialized roles. To play. If you have uh, uh, skin cells, they are going to be built for one kind of thing, to be part of our skin. If you have blood cells, they are going to be a little bit different. They have a different role to play in the body. You have uh, neurons that uh, are a different kind of cell completely. They have another role to play, and on and on down the line. Cells have different roles. There are different roles for human beings. We all have different roles to play in life, in family, in business, in the church. And when we stop and look at our roles and ask, what is my role in this situation? What is the thing that I am to do in this situation? What has God called me to do through the role that I have here? When we start asking those questions, we are asking wisdom questions. The wisdom of God comes to us through the roles he has assigned to us in life. Now, I use the word assigned. Some of those roles are assigned at birth. We're going to talk about some of these. Others are chosen throughout life. And so uh, that's one thing that we need to be aware of, that there are some roles that God has built into the structure of our relationships. And he designed those roles, and they're going to function according to his design, kind of whether we like it or not. Then there are other roles that we choose 
aspirations that we have, careers that we pursue, leadership roles that we take on, and these we do by choice. And those are in another category, but nevertheless, they are still part of God's structure for the way we live together and the way we glorify Him. And wisdom comes to us through the roles that we have in life. Now, even as I'm introducing this, you're probably very aware of how kind of old school this is. This is very old thinking. Very even, you might say, ancient thinking. That we don't make choices to define ourselves. We don't necessarily choose everything that we would like to do. There are some things that we were born to do, some things that God has assigned us to do. And then there are other things when we start down a path and choose to do those things, roles kick in gear and God has assignments for us in the choices that we make. This is old thinking and I'm making no bones about that. This is only going to get worse Next Sunday, I'm going to be positively illegal in what I say in the sermon. So come back next week. You're going to wonder what that is. But even where we are this morning in talking about the fact that God's wisdom is going to come through the role he has assigned you in life. This is very different from the way we think about ourselves. We want to think of ourselves as choosing to do everything that we do freely. We might say authentically, sincerely. And the Bible comes at us with an entirely different set of assumptions, saying, no, not so much. There's a role that you have in your life. And as you understand that role, and as you adapt to that role, as you step up to that role, God's wisdom starts flowing into you and his grace starts flowing into your life and you become who he has made you to be. So we're going to talk about this. This is all embedded in Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. We're going to start by making some observations deeply in this text and where Solomon was coming from as he wrote it. Then we're going to start to deliberate about our roles. We're going to ask questions about ourselves and the roles and assignments that God has given to us. And then we're going to close with a couple of evaluation questions. So let's dive in this morning. Let's make some observations in this text. Five roles that are embedded in this text. Let me put this differently. If you were to try to interpret this text without these five roles, it would be total gibberish and it wouldn't make any sense at all. So, by the way, let me just pause right there and make this observation. One of the reasons we don't understand the scriptures is because we are not starting at the same place the scriptures are starting. And so when the scriptures come at us with commands and and words and stories and examples and all of these things, we look at it and say, what? What is that? What are you talking about? How am I supposed to make sense of this? Because literally, we are not coming at the text from the same point of view, the same worldview that the text is coming from. So that's the category we're in as we make these observations Uh, five roles here that we need in order to understand the wisdom of God and understand this text. The Proverbs of Solomon, verse 1, son of David. There's our first role. Son. Everyone here is a son or a daughter. We can say that definitively. Every single one of us was born. If you weren't born, you aren't here. And we don't have to worry about you. And we all have fathers and mothers, which is to say we are all coming from somewhere specifically. A family, a line 
a legacy. We, are all, we all have that. So here is Solomon announcing himself at the beginning of this book as the son of David. And what's interesting to me about this is that um, Solomon, as he makes this announcement right at the beginning, is not just saying in Proverbs, this is where I come from. He is saying, this is my role, is, not was. I am the son of David. Everything that David is and was and was called to be by God, I am his son and I am called to carry that forward. Everything we're going to say kind of flows from this. I just want to give you an example of this in Proverbs chapter 4. Solomon actually says this to us in so many words. Proverbs 4, starting at verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instructions. Notice that relationship set right there. It's in the text over and over and over. Son, and you could put in there, daughter, listen to my instructions. Why? Because I am your father. That's the role I have. Listen to your mother. That is the role that she has. And so this relationship is right at the center of everything here. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. What is it that a son's job is in life? What's my role as a son? It is to listen to my father. When my grandfathers were alive, it was to listen to them and my grandmothers. And to recall then the example decision-making of my great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers. This is where I am coming from. It is my role in life to receive that inheritance and to make a decision about what to do with it. Notice what I said about that. It doesn't mean that the legacy I inherit is perfect, It doesn't mean that it is right. It means that it is my job to receive it and to decide consciously with wisdom where to take it. Where are we going forward with this legacy? Now, I as a son can take the position, I'm done with all of that. I couldn't do that this morning because dad and mom are right there. (laughs) But I could theoretically take the position I am cutting off my family. In saying that, I would be deceiving myself, right? Because we come to the point of view at various points in life, where I came from is still with me, and I have to decide what to do with that. It's a role that God has put in my life. I told you Solomon talked about this in relation to himself, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. And then this. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. And he goes on in that way, basically saying the same thing that he just said to his son. He's saying, I had this talk over and over again with my father from a very young age. I received from him the commands that he had to give, and it is my job to take those, decide where to take them in the future, and to pass the good stuff on to you. Who was his father? Well, he told us right at the beginning of Proverbs. Solomon, the son of David. He's talking about David here in chapter 4. He's saying, David sat me down and told me stuff. And the stuff was worth hearing. I'm just going to make this comment. David did not do that with all his sons. David was negligent 
with the majority of his children. He was also negligent and, and corrupted in his polygamy because he married many wives. And he, he basically buried a bunch of dynamite under the foundation of his home, and that dynamite blew. So this legacy that Solomon is talking about is not perfect, and Solomon knows it. We'll talk about this more in a few minutes. So the first role that we see under our microscope in chapter 1 of Proverbs is the role of a son. And Solomon announces himself, introduces himself as a son. I am in the role of inheriting David's legacy, and it's my job to decide what to do with that going forward. Second role. Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. There's another role there. You ever look at the scriptures this way, asking this question, what role is being talked about here? It's very useful because you see there's overlap here. Solomon is a son and a king. He's both. So Solomon, we'll see this later, Solomon doesn't have the right to say, I'm king, that negates the fact that I am David's son. No, it doesn't. He doesn't have the right to act as if he is the one solely in charge here, as if he came from nowhere and all of his stuff came from him. He is is acting here as a king who is a son. He is in authority and he is under authority at the same time. Um, How did Solomon view being a king? I'd like you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I'll just make this note here while you're turning there that uh, Paul Mathers is teaching the book of Ecclesiastes at 9 a.m. every Sunday morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. You see another title for Solomon in this book. Ecclesiastes 12, by the way, that's just the next book over from Proverbs. Chapter 12, verse 9. Besides being wise, Solomon the preacher. Hang on, I thought he was a king. Well, he is the king. But Solomon presents himself in Ecclesiastes as a preacher, a kind of teacher, a proclaimer of God's truth. Here's how he sees his job. Besides being wise himself, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. You get an insight in there about how Solomon thinks about being king. He doesn't think about it as, this is the job where I get to make all of the decisions. He's saying, this is the job where I model wisdom for my people because I am king. That's what I do. That is the role that has been assigned to me. And so it is my job to exhibit and to teach wisdom to all the people. Now, let me throw this out to you, that being a leader is just like being a son. The minute you step into that role, it starts working, starts doing its job. You are leading. In Solomon's case, he is king. He only has one choice. Is he going to be a godly king or a corrupt king? That's all he can do. We are sons and daughters. That is working in our lives. Whether we want to acknowledge that reality or not, God has built it to work that way. We can try to cut it off. We can try to act like it's not there. But we cannot fundamentally escape the reality of being sons and daughters. So we have this 
democracy that we live in, this republican form of government with a constitution and very explicitly we as a people do not have a king. But we do have leaders. Are our leaders teaching us character? The answer is yes. How's that going for us? Our problem as a nation is that in one sense, the people are king. And whatever the people are, the leaders will reflect back. And so we're in a spiral here as a country where this role of leadership, national leadership, state leadership, civic leadership at every level, these roles are working They're working just as God designed them, but we as human beings are corrupting that spiral. And we're seeing right now what it is like when the leaders do not view it as their job to craft and nurture the character of a nation according to God's wisdom. We're watching this unfold right before our eyes. We've been watching it for many, many decades now. Our leaders are the mirror of who we are. Because in our country, we are the kings. That's how we set it up to work. Food for thought. Third role in this passage of Proverbs chapter 1. Returning there. There is a role for a learner. Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So those two roles are operating here. What are the Proverbs for? They're for learners. Anybody who says, I'm an apprentice. I am being schooled. I am being taught. I am being trained. That's what Proverbs are for. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. There is a role that God has given us in our lives, the role of learner, and at various points in our lives, that role changes. Sometimes... We um, are learning everything comprehensively. You think of a little toddler taking in all sorts of information, learning, learning, learning every single moment. But it is no less true of a 55-year-old who steps into a senior management position, realizes with the accumulation of stuff piling up on his desk, I have a what curve? Learning curve here. I need to get my hands around this job that I have not had before. Learning never stops. And so there is a role of a learner in all of these different situations. You ever tried to teach a learner who thinks of him or herself as a teacher? Good luck with that. I say that because that's been me. I've told you that before, full disclosure. I am the ultimate learner who thinks of himself as a teacher. And it came, as I told you a few weeks ago, it came to a a point in my education where I had to make a decision. I am going to stop this now. I am going to stop arguing with everything I'm being told. I am going to do what I am told. And remember when that was in my life? Seminary. Master's degree work that's a little late to recognize that I'm a learner. So, learning never stops, and it's a role. It's a role often by choice. I told you last week I made a choice, a decision to listen to the godly counsel of the men around me and to go get a a PhD and to engage in that work. The same kind of decision where I'm saying, okay, I need to be trained in this stuff that I do not now know 
and I need to do what I'm told and meet the standard I'm given. That's a choice. The minute I make that choice, I'd better embrace it the way God has designed the learner role to work. If I make that choice and then head off to seminar, assuming that it's my job to set everybody straight there, I'm a fool. I'm not wise because that is not my role. Okay? So uh, here we have uh, another role, and it's a big one because this is the role all of Proverbs is about, being a learner at every stage of your life, opening up yourself to receive the wisdom that is available around you from the people around you, authority figures, people under you, and especially from the fear of the Lord. So this is a very important role, and uh, it's, it's a role that we all must play in many different ways in life. Um, I think one of the biggest things we could say about this role is that most learning roles are not by choice. You were born. You had no choice in that. Um, you had to learn language. You had to learn to walk. You had to learn all of this stuff. You then went to school. You had to learn all of these things that were coming at you. And now life is coming at you. And you have to learn more. You have no choice in the situations of your life. You have to either embrace that role of learning with wisdom or get stiff-necked and stubborn, close off your ears, and cease learning. Life's still going to come at you. The only question is whether you're going to embrace the role in a godly way. So, a third role here. Let me take you to uh, something in Solomon's experience. I'd like you to turn with me back to Second Chronicles, uh, First Chronicles, rather, chapter 22. Let's go back to Solomon and his father, David. This is King David. So there are a lot of roles here. David is Solomon's father. He is also Solomon's king. Solomon is David's son, and he also is going to step into this role of king. You know what that means? He needs to be trained. He has to learn. So here he is, the crown prince, and David, in a very public way, is going to put him through school. Um, Chapter 22 of 1 Chronicles. David is preparing to build the temple. Solomon is waiting in the wings. And when Solomon inherits the kingdom, he's going to be the guy who builds it. So here's what David says in verse 5. David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. And the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. Okay, so this is David saying, I'm going to amass the materials so that he has stuff to build a great temple with. But there's more. My son Solomon is young and inexperienced. He needs to be trained. So drop down to verse 11. You get a little window into David's training of Solomon for this role that Solomon did not choose God chose him for it, a role that inherits a whole lot of responsibilities, and he needs to go to school on this. Verse 11 of 1 Chronicles 22. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God as he has spoken concerning you. Only may the Lord grant you discretion, And understanding that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. 
Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. What is that? That's training. He's saying, son, this is how this works. This is how you must be king. You must be governed in your heart by the law of God. And you must obey it and you must implement it in your kingdom. The Lord is with you. Don't fail in this. Question. Do you talk to your children this way? Do you talk to your grandchildren this way? If we don't, what are we doing? How can we look at the world and the society that we are in and the collapse of so many crucial things? How can we look at all of that and not train the coming generations for what they must face? They have no choice. They will face these things. The only question is whether we are going to obey the role that God has given to us and train them in it. Are we going to do that or not? David is grasping the nettle here. He is changing his MO. From his older sons, he was not involved, disengaged when they committed crimes. He got angry at them, he condemned them in his heart, but he did not confront them. So, this is a change for David in his old age. He is learning how to be a father and how to be a king. He's getting it right this go-round. There's tremendous hope in that. We can get this right at any time. Okay, back to Proverbs chapter 1. A fourth role now, the youth. You notice a distinction in Proverbs 1 and verse 5. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 4. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, the youth. In the worldview of the Bible, and let's back way up and say, in the worldview of the entire human population of planet Earth from time immemorial right up until recently, except in the Western world where we live, there's a big distinction between youth and age. And the job of youth in a culture is to receive the cultural inheritance from those who have age, who have charge of the culture, and who are doing uh, the, the stewardship of the culture. That's how this works. We are the odd man out in world history and in world culture right now because we think it's the reverse. The young are in charge and the old need to inherit. That's totally, it's gibberish. It's absurd. The old don't inherit from the young. The old die. Sorry if that's bad news for you today. (laughs) The old do not inherit anything. They pass on to the young. Now look, this works. These roles work just fine. God designed them to work, and they are working. But what are the young inheriting? Negligence, muddled thinking, and a degraded cultural inheritance. Now, what are they supposed to do with that? Think about it just in terms of churches. What do the young inherit from the older people in churches. They are inheriting something. Are they inheriting disengagement? Cut off 
Are they inheriting disrespect? Low priority. What are they inheriting? Part of what we're doing here is rebuilding a right understanding of that relationship where the youth see themselves as inheriting the culture of which the elders are stewards. That doesn't mean the culture is entirely right. In fact, it means the opposite of that. It means they receive it, they take that stewardship, and then they have to decide by the wisdom of God, where are we taking this? What are we going to do with this? Because we've inherited all of this. It's mixed. Where do we take this now? This is part of Solomon's experience again. First Chronicles chapter 28. I want to show you something. I don't want you to miss this. The resonance of this in First Chronicles 28. We're spending a lot of time on this point in the sermon. Do not dismay. We will get to Roman numeral 3 and 4 and it will speed up. But this is very important. Solomon is a youth at the end of 1 Chronicles. He's young when he becomes king. David acknowledges this and Solomon, as we will see, acknowledges this. Here's the thing. If you compare the borders that God told Joshua to conquer at the beginning of the book of Joshua with the borders that Solomon inherited from David, they are the same. David is handing to Solomon the completed conquest of the land. It is secure. It is wealthy. It is worshiping rightly. David, by the grace and power of God, accomplished all of that in a single generation. That is the legacy, the culture that the youth, Solomon, is inheriting from the elder, David. And then David says this. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 20. Then David said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do your job. Step up to your role. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. Where does that come from? That's Joshua chapter 1. Famous words with which the Lord charges Joshua when he says, go, conquer these borders. Take it. Be strong and courageous. Do not back off. Do not be afraid. I am with you wherever you go. You see what this is? David is not just handing Solomon a material inheritance. He is handing him the cultural and spiritual inheritance from way back. Question, are you doing this? Are we doing this as a church? Are we consciously saying, these are the things of God over which we are stewards. This is what we have received. It is now yours, all of it, materially, the building, whatever it may be, the, the wealth, whatever that may amount to. But here is the spiritual inheritance that goes with this. This is David taking Joshua and saying, Solomon, it's yours. It belongs to you. 
We said at the beginning of this sermon, the wisdom of God comes to you through your role and the role of the people around you. Those roles work. The only question is whether we are fulfilling them in a godly way. If we are fulfilling our role by only doing half our jobs, making sure that the next generation, the youth, receive a material inheritance, a a material legacy, instead of the intellectual, cultural, and spiritual legacy that is their due by the design of God, if we're neglecting all of that role, is wisdom going forward? No. Neglect, folly, imprudence, and ignorance are going forward. You see what's, both what is breaking down in our society and what can be set right at any time. What has to be set right is God's people stepping up to the role that they have been called to serve and that has been charged to them. David stepped up and he gave a cultural inheritance a spiritual inheritance to Solomon, not just a material one. And so there is a role for the youth in receiving that inheritance and deciding what to do with it. You say, that's a lot like a son. Yes, it is. But these roles overlap. This is a bigger thing, uh, the elders and the youth. It's bigger than just a father to a son or a daughter. All right, final rule, Proverbs chapter 1. I want you to notice the words of verse 3 very carefully. They assume the role of citizen. This is now talking about the way a person conducts him or herself in the marketplace and in the community. Proverbs 1 Three, to receive instruction in wise, what? Dealing. Wise dealing. That sounds kind of grimy, actually. How very middle class. How very money-grubbing to be schooled in wise dealing. Solomon doesn't see it that way. God does not see it that way. The way you conduct yourself in the marketplace is an expression of your role as citizen. If you don't understand the role of citizen in the market and in the community, how healthy is the city going to be? How healthy is the state going to be? The nation. How healthy are these things going to be? Not very. If it breaks down at the citizen level, if we don't understand our roles in all of these ways, then you start to see the degradation of the marketplace. You start to see the degradation of civic community and and law and order, but more important than that, manners and civility. All of that stuff degrades when we don't receive instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, that's a public virtue, and equity. That's making decisions that are fair and right, giving people their due. Proverbs says we need training in that. That's a role. It's a real thing. If that role uh, suddenly ceases to live in a godly way, what's going to happen? Degradation is going to happen. One final example from the life of Proverbs, from the life of Solomon, rather, and then we'll move on. Second, I'm sorry, First Chronicles again. No, I was right the first time. Second Chronicles, chapter two. Second Chronicles two. Solomon is now king. He has stepped into that role. He has a job to do. He needs to build the temple. David said, I gave you a bunch of stuff, but you need to add more to it. How is he going to add more to it? By making deals with the people around him. 
And so what you see in Second Chronicles chapter 2 appears to be a very boring and um, uninteresting letter about what Solomon needs from the king immediately to the north. That king's name is Hiram, king of Tyre. And he's basically asking for expertise. He's asking for supplies. And he's saying, here's what I will pay you for that expertise and for those supplies in the building of the temple. So that letter goes out, and this is the passage in the Old Testament where you read it and you say, why is this in the Bible? Look at verse 11 of Second Chronicles 2. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, answered in a letter that he sent to Solomon. Who is this guy? This is not a follower of Yahweh. This is an idolater. This is in many ways an evil man. Here's what he says. Because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. And Hiram also said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who made heaven and earth, who has given King David a wise son, who has discretion and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal palace for himself. That is an idolater giving recognition to the equity and justice of the way Solomon is conducting himself in his dealings. And he's saying, boy, is David blessed because he has a wise son who knows how to conduct himself. He knows how to cut a straight, just, equitable deal. He knows how the market works. He gets it. And Israel is blessed to have such a king. Proverbs chapter 1 is saying, when you get wisdom under a microscope, you find that it works in specializations. It has many different roles. And wisdom, the wisdom of God starts to operate as we step up to the roles he has called us to embody. Now, at a little faster pace, let's deliberate together. Every one of us has roles, plural, many of them. As we said, we are all sons and daughters, so that means we have a role of receiving an inheritance, acknowledging it from our fathers and mothers, and deciding what to do with it going forward. Many of us are fathers and mothers. This means that we made choices that led us to procreate and have children. We made decisions to do that. Maybe the specific children were unexpected, but they should not have been given the decisions we were making. So having made those decisions and having received our children, we are now in a role. And those choices having been made, we now have the decision whether we're going to fulfill those roles in a godly way or not. Because those roles are going to function. They will inherit something from us. So three questions. First of all, If you want to know what to do in any given situation, then before or as you open your Bible, the first question in your mind should be, what's my assignment from God in this situation? And it may not be limited to the five that we talked about. I have a role here. Am I the employer or am I the employee? Am I the teacher or am I the student? I made choices to get here. Now that I'm here, what's my assignment from God? What's my role? Am I a father or am I a mother? If you start with this question and asking the scriptures to clarify, what is, Lord, my role here? What's my job? What's the assignment that you have for me? You're taking the first step toward wisdom. You're saying, Lord, I want to be told 
what your will is for me. You ever ask this question, what is God's will for my life? Have you then asked what ought to be the immediate next question? What's my role right now? That is telling you what God's will for your life is. So, uh, first question as we deliberate about this, what is my role in the situations that I'm facing? Second question. I forgot what that is. Ah, this one is also very important. What's beyond my assignment? Once I get my assignment, I want to fulfill that. I don't want to go beyond it. Let me give you an illustration of this. We think as parents that we have uh, a, a priority and authority over our children, and that is true. You realize you can go beyond what God designed that for? You ever met controlling parents, controlling people, who are constantly maneuvering and manipulating? Have you ever met this? Let me throw this out there. We now have the ability to create designer children. Have you ever struggled against your parents' expectations for you? Have you ever said, that's not really the person I am? What about when your parents pay five figures and have you medically engineered to be a certain way, of a certain kind of intelligence, to do a certain kind of thing, live a certain kind of life, look a certain way. You realize what that means? It is an assertion of parental prerogative and right that we really have no right to mess with. You think the expectation problem is bad now? Wait till you don't want to be the person your parents designed, bought, and paid for you to be. Then what? So there are all kinds of ways where once we know what our role is, we need to stay within it. We need to know what God has called us to do and we need to know what he has not called us to do. He has not called me as a father to control my sons. He has called me to nurture them, build them up as decision makers and teach them the whole counsel of God. He has not called me to be the controlling, uh, uh, abusive father in their life. It is possible to do this. You may be so zealous to step up to your role that you actually go beyond it. So we need to ask this question. Third question. What's my decision? Given the situation that I'm in, I know this is my assignment from God because I am a father. I am this child's mother. I am a, I am a wife or a husband. I am a teacher. And this is, I know what God has assigned me to do here. So what's my decision? Am I going to do it or not? You notice how this, this really just clarifies right down to ones and zeros, yeses and nos. Am I going to do the thing that God has called me to do or am I not going to do it? If not, okay. We have a gracious God and He can teach us and He will lead us. He does me when I make wrong decisions. But let's at least be conscious of the decisions that we're making if we're saying no to what God has called us to do and be to the people around us, let's do it deliberately. Sin boldly. But don't muck around in the confusion of roles that we have here and pretend that we don't know what God has called us to do and then wonder what God's will for our lives is. I'm being a little tough here. But look at where we are, friends. Look at what's happening around us. There's only one way out. 
And that is for us, by the grace of God, to pursue the wisdom of God. It's the only way out for us. Let's ask a couple of evaluation questions, and then I will see if there are any questions uh, texted in. First, prayerfully ask this question. How much does my role shape my emotions? Your response to that question probably tells you everything you need to know. If your response to that question is, huh? My emotions shape my role. I do what I want. If I don't want to do it, I don't do it. My role is putty in my hands. And if I don't feel like it, I'm not going to do it. Okay, we just learned something. The difference between folly and wisdom, the presence of wisdom and folly in our lives can be discovered by asking what's shaping who you are. Is your emotion shaping your role or do your roles shape your emotions? Your question may be, is that even possible that I could look at a role that God has called me to do and I look at it and it just looks overwhelming? And the only emotion I feel is the emotion of dread and fear of failure. Can I even look at that and have that role start to shape gratitude, joy, confidence, security? Is that even possible? Yes. That is what the grace of God does. Jesus comes and says, this is who I made you to be. And if you fall I will stand you up. Even the young stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. It is not only possible, it is what God does. Second question, how much does my role shape my decision? Again, the reaction might be my wants, my desires, my fears shape my decisions, not my roles. Then you have a clear decision before you. By the grace of God, the call on your life is the voice of Jesus Christ saying, my role was to go to the cross and die for you so that I could create a new creature in you that you could be born again and that I could make in you a fountain of living waters, not just for yourself but for the people around you. That I could stand you up and make you strong in the roles that I have called you to play. If you let your role tell you what decision to make, you are taking a step toward wisdom. Looks like I have a couple of questions uh, by text. If you need to leave, this is kind of an add-on to the service, so uh, if you need to leave, just uh, slip out. We understand that. Um, So let's take a look at what we've got here. What about those of us that were not blessed with children or with a spouse? How do we know what our role is in this world? Where do we fit in? This is huge. I'm so glad uh, someone asked this question. God has called you to a role even if it is not involved with marriage and having a family. And your role is potentially gigantic. Where does that role come from? It's going to come from especially the citizenship category and especially your, your citizenship in the body of Christ and how you give of your time, how you devote your talents, how you discover those, how you develop those. And as you go through a process of developing yourself as a person in Jesus Christ, he starts to take you 
And he starts to connect you with the people around you in new ways. This takes time and patience. And it is, by and large, a role by choice. It is not a role that is kind of assigned to you. It is a role that you build in consultation with the Lord. This is one reason uh, why Paul commends uh, a single life. He says there's freedom and liberty in that, uh, and it is a profound thing. Uh, but nevertheless, there is a role there that the Lord can walk you toward as you develop with him as a person. And I would say that in this time, as in few times in the history of the church, your role could be one of the most important roles in the life of the church, simply because of the freedom that you have in that role. It could be game-changing for the body of Christ. And uh, so I, I would love to talk more about that. If you have questions about that, if that's where you are, let's talk about that because it's worth discussing. As a son or daughter, there are many tapes we have recorded in our heads. Some of these tapes of my role, who I am, are not what I would repeat in church. Definitely. So this is going to the troubled, mixed legacy that we receive. I have often lived these out in the negative with others confirming it. Am I resigned to continue fulfilling those negative traits or roles or is there anything I have to control, have control over to change these patterns? Um, first step is to, to acknowledge this is the heritage I've received. That heritage is, is mixed. We didn't get to talk about this much, but Solomon inherited a very mixed legacy from David. Family was a mess. His brothers wanted to kill him. Uh, there were leaders that David left in place, and David ended up saying things like, you're going to have to deal with this guy. So Solomon was not exempt from this problem. Um, The first thing you need to say is, this is what I have received. This is the legacy. Second step is to say, now, what in that legacy was strong and what was weak? If you take the approach, let's just burn it all down, then we're, we're going to be missing something in that legacy that was potentially strong and that you're going to need. Sometimes you may need to ask questions further back than just your parents. I mentioned my great-grandparents. Um, they played a role and continue to play a role in the line that I am part of because of who they were and what they did, decisions they made for well or ill. All of that continues to live on. What you may need to do is say, where is the Christian heritage in my family further back? I would bet money, if I weren't a pastor, that there is a Christian heritage back there. And that somewhere along the line, members of your family said no to that heritage, walked away from it. What you would be doing in that case is saying, Dad, Grandpa, I understand you walked away from that. I'm going back. Because it's there. It's in our line. You said no, but you extended this to me. And I'm going back to the strong, healthy heritage that was before us. It, it may involve something like that. A lot of this may involve simply working through this at an emotional level and asking questions about who you are emotionally and what patterns you have built in your life uh, as a result of these, these kinds of mixed legacies. Um, those are some of the things that you can do beyond just throwing it all out or just saying, well, that's who I am. That's what I've inherited. No, it just, it's saying there's work to do. There are decisions to be made. 
And you can make these decisions. In the power and grace of God, you can get them right. And if there are strong patterns of wrong in the past of your family, you can be the person like David was in Israel to say it stops here. We set a new pattern. Um, One more very good uh, question. Um, Thought on adult becoming a verb. Adulting. Is becoming an adult a role? Yes. Adulting is a thing. We need more of it. Um, This is where we say, I'm done being entertained. I'm going to take charge of this thing now. And I'm going to mess things up and I'm going to bumble along, but I'll learn because I have a learning curve. But I'm going to do this and um, I'm going to become the adult in the room. You make that decision, the grace and wisdom of God is behind you all the way. You can be 11 and make that decision. You can be 15 and make that decision. You can be 45 and make that decision. Any time is a good time. So... uh, I like that, adulting. We're going to turn that into a word.